I'm a little bit on the control freak side, and that's not everybody, but I do think that like it's benefited me in the sense that like everything that we have to sell, our podcast production business does not rest on really anything but just the absolute bare minimum, which is that podcasts exist and iTunes exists and everything else we maintain control of. We don't really rely on a certain platform. We don't rely on a certain, you know, uh, any vendor. We don't rely on affiliate relationships to bring in money, nothing. Like we, we maintain all the control. And I think there's a lot of folks that are very tempted by the idea of doing affiliate deals and, and all these things. And to me, they're good ancillary things like they're good profit maximizers like once you already have the audience you may absolutely do, do do some affiliate launches send people to some other products gravy great g'day folks troy dean here and welcome to another episode of the wp elevation podcast where we help freelancers find freedom our feature guest this week is matt johnson from pursuingresults.com Matt started out as a WordPress web developer and then pivoted very quickly into a product company where he offers podcast production services as a product. Uh, If you've ever wanted to launch a podcast or you do have a podcast, this will be an interesting episode for you. But also, if you are wondering how you can take what it is you do and package it up into a product that is a unique offering that you can put in front of clients so that you can get away from that treadmill of negotiating and discounting your hourly rate, then this is an incredibly valuable exercise. There is tons to unpack here. The importance of having a product versus a service. What is a product instead of what is a service? How do you scale a product company? How do you get your team in place? How do you get your processes in place? It's a very, very interesting episode. I could have talked for hours with Matt. And in the interest of complete transparency, we are actually taking Matt's service for a spin. We are uh, we've hired him to produce an episode of our podcast, and we're very much looking forward to sharing the results of that with you. So without further ado, let's go and meet Matt Johnson from pursuingresults.com. This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. Just before we get into this episode of the podcast, I have a quick favour to ask. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on iTunes at wpelevation.com slash iTunes. Or if you're not an Apple user, you can get us on Stitcher Radio at wpelevation.com slash Stitcher. And please, if you are on iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. It really does help us come up in the search results and get the show in front of a wider audience. And we love your feedback and we read all of the reviews. Thanks in advance. Now let's get back to the show. G'day folks, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation and I'm very pleased to have with me Matt Johnson from Pursuing Results. Hey Matt, how you doing? Hey Troy, I'm doing awesome. How are you? Oh, very good, thank you. Thanks for joining us on the show. Uh, whereabouts are you based in the world? San Diego. San Diego. The, uh, America's love. finest city. And they're not lying because it's pretty fantastic. I love San Diego, man. I love it. I was out there about six weeks ago and I'm coming out there again early in 2019. I just love it. It's beautiful. It's the craft beer capital of the world. Did you know that? <laughs> I know. I wish I was here. If I was only into microbrews, I feel like I'd be a much cooler person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, because uh, it, is, it is a great center for that, microbrews and all kinds of IPAs and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm totally a wine and uh, cocktail guys. So I missed out on that whole thing, but I have many friends who enjoy the culture here. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Uh, now, for those that don't know, uh, who are you and what are you doing here? 
Yeah. So, uh, so you and I connected, I had you on my podcast and, uh, what I do is we produce podcasts and, and so in other words, I run a digital agency, right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I have a whole team, you know, virtual team all around the country, all around the world. Mm-hmm. And everyone's a specialist in what they do best. It all kind of came from me scratching my own itch, essentially solving my own, my own problem, mm-hmm. which is I was hosting podcasts and I was live. I, and I still am actually three to five hours a week, uh, live podcasting on Facebook. And like when you're doing it at that level, you don't have time to do all the back end work, which I did initially. Mm. And so I, I got here because I essentially had to build something uh, that would allow me to have somebody else do all the back end work so that I could just show up and have the conversation, approve the email before it went out and everything else is kind of taken care of. And that led to me ending up. I didn't like initially set out really to run a digital agency. It kind of happened due to demand. Uh, so when people started to find out how was I live and how was I running these, you know, these podcasts? And I would show them a little bit about my team that I'd built. At first they asked to essentially rent my team and that worked for a while. And then of course that breaks and then you have to like build an actual business out of it, which Mm -hmm. I did. And so that was kind of the progression. And, and uh, essentially, like I said, just, you know, scratching my own itch and, and really building something that, that satisfied my own need so that I could have sanity in my own life. And then it turns out it was something that a lot of other people needed to. Why did you start podcasting in the first place? Well, so I was in the agency that I was in. I ended up doing like a lot of webinars because I was in business development and made a lot of great relationships that way. Mm. I didn't really put two and two together at the time that that is kind of like, that's what I should have been doing. I, I, I could have been even more intentional about it. It was actually just the program that we were on uh, to develop new relationships within that business. One of the people that I did webinars with essentially came to me after we did like our third webinar and just pitched me on it. I, I was actually thinking about pitching him on it. He just beat me to the punch and said, mm. Hey, do you want to start a podcast in, in our space? Uh, and, and my, my space at the time I was thinking was real estate. I later figured out that wasn't actually my niche. Um, but at the time that's where I was doing a lot of things. And so it made a lot of sense. Uh, and it wasn't to the consumer, it was B2B. So it was talking to other people that were in that space. And so at the time, um, it was like, yeah, let's, let's go for it. We hadn't, we had no idea at the time really how we were going to monetize it. All we knew is that we had a lot of fun together. We got together every week and shot video anyway for him. And, uh, somewhere, somewhere on YouTube, there's the cutting room floor remnants of that, that video, which n- nobody should be allowed to see because <laughs> there's way too much hilarity and profanity, uh, in, in those, uh, in those blooper reels. But we just had a a fun time doing it. And so that really it was initially we didn't know exactly how to monetize it, which I would not recommend, by the way. Mm -hmm. But that's what we did. And it all worked out in the end. Uh, But it did take us a longer path to figure out kind of how to monetize, which I know is something we might get into in a second. But Mm -hmm. uh, I definitely jumped in without a plan. The only plan was. We knew we wanted to be in like industry influencers. We knew we wanted to speak. We knew we wanted to help people. And we knew that we, like he wanted to get into coaching. That was the mechanism for how he wanted to help people. And we figured, well, what better way than just to bring on the other influencers in the space, Mm. potential coaching clients and past successful coaching clients, which is actually how we started. Mm. Uh, And it all kind of just kind of snowballed from there. Mm. So um, how did you, two things, how did you monetize the podcast Mm. and you just said that you wouldn't recommend it. You wouldn't recommend starting a podcast without some kind of monetization strategy in place. Yes. Yeah. So what we ended up doing is, and we've done everything from courses uh, to live classes, and and those actually worked fairly well. So the live class, if you get it right and and it's leveraged and and things like that, it, it can actually work really well because you're you're selling 
access to you, mm -hmm. right? Which if you're if you're hosting a podcast, that's part of what the audience wants is they want more access and, and a deeper relationship with the host. Yeah. And so that worked well for a while. We got burned out of doing it. And so we shifted over and we actually moved in in this case, my my partner on that podcast. He moved his entire real estate team over to what's called like a virtual brokerage mm -hmm. so that anybody around the country who listened to our podcast could join up under that virtual brokerage, just switch their license over and then get access to all of our training and stuff like that for free. And then we got a cut of their commissions. And to me, that's the best way to build. It's, it, it's the best way I've mm -hmm. found to monetize a coaching relationship. Mm. The only problem and the only reason you can't do it in a bunch of other industries is they don't have virtual brokerages where all the money runs through a third party yeah, where yeah, you can yeah. track all the sales right. and there's accountability. You have to- Because that was my next question. That was, yes. that was my next question is how do you, I mean, like it is, is it the honor system? <laughs> hey, I made a hundred grand this month. Here's your commission check. I don't think that's going to work. Absolutely not. Right. No. Um, that's fascinating. There's a whole yep. other podcast right there, um, which we'll probably do at some point in the future. Uh, so let's talk about when you and I first connected, we talked a little bit about the difference between a product and a service and the benefits yep. of having a product. Just for those who, who this is new to them, what is, in your mind, what is the difference between a product and a service? Well, yeah. And, and I'll just to quickly back up. So before I got my start in podcasting, um, I got my start in WordPress development mm -hmm. and my first job, like my first actual foray into like contracting and marketing mm -hmm. was actually working for a piano studio where I built their WordPress site. Mm -hmm. And then that got me into like building WordPress sites for the clients. And that was actually one of my first things that I did when I broke off from my agency mm -hmm. is I built a WordPress site for my first consulting client. What the, the pain, uh, and the suffering of that process of building something entirely custom from scratch, mm -hmm. um, is part of what really led me down the road of like productizing. Mm. And, you know, I was thinking about it after, after our last conversation, when we kind of did the prep for this, for this call, I thought really deeply about it. And I realized that, man, I got really, really lucky. Uh, so my first consulting client, he's in real estate. He's still a client of mine. We still run his podcast and all that good stuff. He was the guy who had built this real estate team and he was netting a million dollars off the team. And the team took him three hours a week to run. Wow. And when I saw that and I really dug in, you know, cause we worked together a, a lot when we first launched his podcast and we helped build out like the core of his coaching business and, and all this stuff. When I got in and I really started to hang out with him and I saw that this was possible, um, that was like a living example of how you actually make more and you progress faster by getting yourself out of the day to day, mm -hmm. at, like as soon as you can. And so I had this really visceral real life right in front of me. I can reach out and touch them example of kind of, I would say the right way to do it. Uh, and that's what they did for their people is that as much as they could, they turned the process of a real estate transaction into a product that just about anybody could be trained to sell. Mm -hmm. And that always stuck with me. Uh, and the agency that I came out of was similar. They only sell one thing. You know, they have a couple of different types of clients, but they only do one thing. And, uh, so I was very fortunate in that I had two, two mentors, you know, slash friends that, that really changed the way that I thought. And so my intention when I built an agency was actually never to do everything completely custom. My intention was to find the product, right? So the, when I first started, um, and I was offering like my product, essentially renting my team out, you know, I kind of filled it like some, some clients wanted to do something every week. Some wanted to do every other week. Some wanted just once a month. And at first I just kind of like sold what would sell 
because I didn't really know like what the package is going to be. But I knew in advance that the goal was to find the package. And so I was looking at the feedback. I was looking at the numbers. I was talking to the clients and just kept narrowing down and going, okay, this doesn't work. Once a month doesn't work. Okay, now let's try twice a month. Nope, that doesn't work. So like now we have like the package, the product. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, it's definitely changed everything for me right? To the point where now I have that same style of business. Now, obviously not netting a million dollars a year because I'm not, we're not making 30 grand in, in commission per, per deal, but it's the same style of business where essentially I have a team and I have a kick butt operations director. So the actual production business I can run in six hours a week, mm. you know, now that doesn't count. Like I'm still involved in like, if there's a new client, I'm still deeply involved in the branding. And, and you know, so like there's, there's things like that or, or involved in growing the business and taking on new clients that I'm involved in, mm -hmm. but the actual operations just to maintain and keep things at a high quality level, five to six hours a week. Mm. Uh, and that, that comes from seeing those guys that were a big influence in my life and watching them do it and emulating what they did. So for those that are listening who might be, you know, doing services, creative services for clients, what do they need to start thinking about when it comes to pivoting from services to product? Like what's the, what, what's the fundamental difference between delivering, selling a service and selling a product? Yeah. Well, I think where people get tripped up is the idea that there's more value and better results in customization. Mm. And, and there's a little bit of ego there on both sides, right? Mm -hmm. The clients believe that their problem is unique and special, and they're not <laughs> always right. And, <laughs> and, and we believe on the other side, we believe that when we customize it, we make it more special and it gets better results. And that's not always true. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I, so I think if we, if we let go of the ego on both sides, uh, the way that I look at it in terms of like transitioning from, let's say a bespoke, everything is custom to a product. How, how in the world is like something where you give less options and less customization? How does it actually deliver better results? And to me, it's thinking really deeply about a couple of things. Number one is who are you best equipped and excited to serve? Mm. Right? So if you start with them and then the other thing is, okay, if I know who I'm starting with and I know where I want to get them to, what is the process, the system mm -hmm. that takes that exact client to that exact result that they want faster, better, smoother than any other process? And if we have that, like once we nail that down, then we know exactly that we're actually getting them better results from a productized service. We're not taking somebody and saying, hey, go ahead and fit your square pig into my round hole because it's easier for me to deliver and I want to take more time off on Friday afternoons. Mm. It's not about that. It's about starting with the ideal client and figuring out what gets them the best results, which is actually not a you know starting from a blank sheet of paper every time. It's starting with a methodology mm. that gets them a certain result and then just going out and finding as many of those ideal clients and giving them that exact methodology. Mm. To me, that's actually serving them at a higher level than if we start with a blank sheet of paper and do what they think they want, which often they, you know, we, we know from experience, the client often doesn't know yeah, what's right. going to get them the best result. That's part of why they come to us. Correct. And, you know, when you said um, offering a product with less options and less customizations, how can that be more valuable? Because the client is not equipped to make the decisions that you're asking them to make when you provide a yeah. custom service. Most yeah. clients, like if you just look at a, a web build, for example, most clients aren't equipped to provide you with the content, right? No. <laughs> so let's just do yeah. it for them. Let's just interview them yeah. for an hour, record that interview, and then unpack it and write the content for them, find them some great images. You don't want to be sending your clients off to stock image websites and asking them to choose images. That's a rabbit hole nobody wants to go down, and they are not equipped to choose the best images. They are not equipped to write the best content. 
They need to stay in their zone of genius and let you be in your zone of genius. The financial sector did this pretty well in Australia years ago. They basically started referring to their home loan things as products. And they started yes. issuing what's called a product disclosure statement. This is what, and I it confused me when I was growing up because I was like, "There's there's nothing physical here. There's no, it's not a widget. There is no physical product. So how can you call this a product?" And what I learned over the years was this was a way of standardising their service offering into something that was easily recognisable, easy to purchase. Uh, it was it was quite clear what was in and what was out, and the features that were included in that product made it available at that particular price point, which made it available for the company to provide that at a profit point, which I think is one of the things yeah. that freelancers really and small agencies really struggle to get their head around is that by by packaging up what it is you do into a methodology or a standardised process and calling it a product, it actually allows you to remove a lot of the waste out of that transaction with the customer and it allows you to build in profit margins and and actually know that, hey, this project is going to produce a 25, 30% profit. Whereas when you're doing custom services, it's, well, I hope the client doesn't change their mind halfway through because if they do, we're all screwed. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is 100% true. And scope creep is the worst thing in the world. It is absolutely terrible. 100%. And, and, And most agency owners are not equipped with the negotiation skills to artfully say no. Yeah. You know, which, which is, and it's tough to do. And I've, I've been in that position and it's no fun. Cause obviously it, a lot of service providers get into it because we want to help people. Yeah. We want to help them get better results. The problem is we end up in the equation. The one that loses is our profit margin, which mm-hmm. ultimately hurts everybody because we can't serve more people at a high level. Correct. So, but we, we take that on and we take on the responsibility of making all the adjustments because it's easier than negotiating and figuring out a way to artfully say no. Yeah. Right on. Uh, so you talked about no, who your ideal client is and having a methodology that solves their problem and takes them from zero to hero. Who is your mm-hmm. ideal client? At? And, and for those that don't know, so just to recap, you're actually now in the podcast production game, right? This is a product that you've got. And in fact, in the interest of complete transparency, we've just hired you to do an episode for us and we're basically mm-hmm. testing the methodology out. So <laughs> that's right. So I hope this isn't too weird for anyone. Um, so who is the ideal client for your podcast production product? Yeah. So, I mean, effectively it's, it's folks like you. So coaches, business coaches, uh, business consultants, and then the agency owners who want to connect with them. So if, like for anyone that's listening to this, that's most likely going to be on the agency side where really, where we are really, really strong is building relationships. And our entire service was built for like ultra busy, ultra successful kind of expert based entrepreneurs. So in other mm-hmm. words, the people that have like intellectual property and content, mm-hmm. they have a message to share. They have something to say and not mm-hmm. just something to sell. Uh, those are the people that we work really well with. Those are the people that we're really, really good at reaching out and getting them onto podcast interviews. Mm-hmm. And so not only are they our ideal clients, but then the agencies who want to break in and either serve them directly or can break into a new industry by connecting with those people. That's our ideal client. And it's funny, that was actually you know, I, I think we were going to talk a little bit about kind of who my first like real client was. Mm. And outside of the consulting, the first actual podcast client where all I did with them was podcasting was my old agency. Mm. So my, the guy I used to work for, the one who brought me out to San Diego, uh, to do the biz dev stuff, uh, 
you know, six months after I was kind of into the podcasting scene, basically came to me and pitched me, which which is part of why you know you've got something. Uh, he basically pitched me and said, "Look, we want to break into four different industries. Uh, I see what you're doing in the podcast realm. I think this can work for us. Can you just run podcasts for us in four different industries and line us up with calls with all the influencers in each of those four spaces?" Hmm. And we tried it and it worked like gangbusters. And that's that's part of how I got started down the road to offering that at like as a package. Hmm. And so that that to me that's that. That's our other, that, that's why those are our ideal clients. So to be clear, you book guests. I just want to clarify this for the listeners. You book guests. So for example, if, if I'm your client, you help me get guests on my podcast. You mm-hmm. don't help me get on other people's podcasts. Exactly. Yeah. So what we do is produce the podcast and part of the production is us reaching out and booking a couple of influencers and thought leaders on your show every mm-hmm. single month. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, yeah. I want to talk about the commercial side of podcasting because- you're in the business of your clients are podcasters, right? But you and mm. I and everyone listening both know that it's really difficult for the average podcaster to make to monetize their podcast, right? Yeah. What I mean, I, they talk about the eighty twenty rule. I reckon it's like the ninety eight two rule in podcasting. There's probably two percent of <laughs> podcasters are actually making any money. Everyone else is doing it just for fun and as a hobby. What are the commercial apart from sponsorship? Which is really hard to get for for podcasting. What 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 is what does the commercial side of podcasting look like? How do you know, like you're banking on the fact that there are enough successful podcasters who are making enough money that they can hire your services? What's the commercial? I know the answer to this question or one of them, but I'm interested to unpack your brain. Like, what is the commercial strategy behind a podcast? Well, we we probably agree on a lot of this because it, when you mention the ninety eight two rule, that's that's what I believe is happening with sponsorships. Mm. So podcasts where they monetize by advertising and sponsorships, I think you're a hundred percent right. It's maybe one percent that are making any money doing that, mm. and even for those, I don't know if they're making any quote you know real money, six and mm. seven figures. Mm. The Tim Ferrisses of the world, absolutely. Yep. You know the Joe Rogans of the world, absolutely. Good and good for them. They they jumped in, and and of course they had big brands. Uh, before they jumped into podcasting, you know, uh, a lot of the people that have come along into podcasting, you know, in the last few years that made a big splash, mm. you know, Brendan Burchard, you can go right down the line, digital marketer, um, you know, a lot of the, the big names, they had established brands and established email lists before they jumped in. So of mm. course they're going to be fine. Uh, I, I do think outside of like sponsorships and advertising, there is a nice little undercurrent of people that are making a lot of money podcasting, those are my ideal clients. I don't care about the people that are going after sponsorships. In fact, if you think that's how you're going to monetize, like that's that's not my ideal client. Mm. I want people that have a real business, that have a high ticket item that they have to sell, like coaching or consulting or high ticket agency work. And where where a podcast can do a couple of things. Number one, it can introduce them to all the strategic referrals and affiliate partners they could ever want. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is they can literally load up their podcast and use it as a way to meet their ideal client. Mm-hmm. So they know exactly who they want to work with. They can sell them two, five, ten thousand $10,000 worth of services at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. And so literally one introduction on their podcast might bring them five figures in revenue. Mm-hmm. And the, the people that can do that, where they have a compelling offer and they know exactly who it's for, those people have no trouble making money in podcasting. Mm. It's the people that don't have the offer. They can't take, they don't have a high ticket thing that's really compelling to their audience. And so then they're trying to build a tribe Mm. and monetize the tribe. And especially if they don't have an idea on how to do it now, let's say they want to do it later. Well, I just want to build up the audience Mm. and then I'll figure out later how to monetize it. Like that just doesn't work. And, And I can, I can speak from experience with my own podcast on the real estate side. 
God bless my co-host. I love him and he has a heart for new agents. But he basically spent three years telling everyone on a podcast that he was the Robin Hood of real estate and wanted to bring everybody the best information that they could get without paying for a coach. And guess what? That's exactly what they did. And they didn't want to pay him for coaching. Um, and so we transit. We found a way around that, obviously. Um, and, and that'll be, you know, like that. That will that podcast will make six figures off the back of it through. Recruiting, we had to literally find a different way to go, uh, and he's not the only person I heard say that. Pat Flynn made made the same mistake, mm. which is he had to literally go back and spend six months, six to twelve months, reconditioning his audience mm. to buy, because he spent up to that point months and maybe even years conditioning mm. them not to buy by mm. just giving away free content with no expectation. Yeah. So that, that's why I feel very strongly about like know what you want to sell and have a high ticket offer before you go and and uh, jump into podcasting. Yeah. Because that really is the key to making it work. Hundred percent. Because prior to that, Pat Flynn was basically making a lot of money off, uh, you know, affiliate links for Bluehost and some of the other products that he was promoting. And that, in my opinion, that's not sustainable long term. And now he's got a series of courses that you can actually buy, and he's actually got his own products that he's developed, which is smart. Um, yeah, exactly. So, uh, a couple of questions here. Um, What's out of your product? Like, what is one of those things that it's it's like? No, no, we don't do that, and it's not negotiable, and it's just a it's a deal breaker. Uh, booking people on other podcasts, right. yeah, got it. Uh, and and so the the next evolution of of my business will will solve that. But yeah, we didn't want to include it. I've done that. And the thing is, this goes back to the idea of like look, building a business that does all kinds of affiliate relationships and stuff like that. Mm. The bottom line is if we want to have a, a, like a sustainable, successful business, we have to have control over what we're selling. Mm. Our, our like I, and, and I'm a little bit on the control freak side mm -hmm. and that's not everybody, but I do think that like it's benefited me in the sense that like everything that we have to sell, our podcast production business does not rest on really anything but just the absolute bare minimum, which is that podcasts exist and iTunes exists and everything else we maintain control of. We don't really rely on a certain platform. We don't rely on a certain, you know, uh, any vendor. We don't rely on affiliate relationships to bring in money, nothing like we, we maintain all the control. And I think there's a lot of folks that are very tempted by the idea of doing affiliate deals and, and all these things. And to me, they're good ancillary things like they're good profit maximizers. Like once you already have the audience mm. and they absolutely do, do, do some affiliate launches, send people to some other products, gravy. Great. Yeah. Um, it should never be like the core thing that we rely on. And so, yeah, like I, we've done enough podcast, like outbound podcast booking. I book my friends and our clients and stuff like that. And the bottom line is that you don't at the end of the day have control over the product. You mm. can pitch. That's the only thing you have control over. You cannot control whether the other person says yes. So the next evolution for me, uh, and because I firmly believe this is where podcasting is going, I don't believe podcasting is going in the direction of more agencies, more podcast production companies like mine. In fact, I'm capping my agency to where we're only going to produce a certain number of shows because I think the next evolution of all this stuff is we've gone through we've gone through the agency phase where everybody hired agencies for everything. Then we went to the DIY phase where everybody sold courses on how people can do it themselves. Then mm -hmm. people figured out, especially people that were successful, figured out the hard way. That's way too time consuming. It's not worth their time if they're an actual expert that has something to say about business. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think the next evolution is somebody, they need somebody on their team mm -hmm. who does that, mm -hmm. who produces their podcast, who pitches them outbound, who does all their case studies, and who uh, splits that content into social media posts, right? Mm -hmm. So those are the four major things. Now, so I think the next evolution is kind of a blend where you're not hiring a bunch of agencies, you're not trying to do it yourself, 
you literally pay someone that this on your team, virtual or otherwise, and mm. they do it. Mm. And so that's what I'm jumping into is I want to train and and provide the system that those people can plug into to where one person can do all that stuff that we know is just it's just the implementation, it's just the execution. Yeah. It's ten to fifteen dollar an hour work. Yeah. We provide the strategy, we provide the systems, all the intellectual horsepower that, that's gone into our system. Mm-hmm. Rather than scaling up by hiring more and more and more people and building a bigger agency, mm. we're gonna scale up by helping people hire the right person yeah. on their team. Good. It's great. There's, um, I, I talk a lot about the three different kind of modalities that you can deliver products or services in. You can you can do the done-for-you service, which is kind of what you're doing at the moment with the agency model. You can do the yep. DIY route, which is, hey, here's a course, go learn how to do it yourself. Or you can do the done-with-you, which is yes. – here's the intellectual property, here's how to execute it, and here's how to go find someone to hire, bring them onto the team, onboard them, and then follow our methodology to get the same outcome, and we're here to support yep. you, but we're not doing it for you, and you don't have to do it yourself. We'll work together and collaborate and do it with you. And that's my favourite model. Yep. Done with you is my favourite yeah. My favorite model yeah. too. Yeah, it's fast awesome. becoming my favourite too, and, and which, is, which is, you know, for me coming from the world of done for you, the client touches nothing but what he absolutely has to kind of service. Like that's mm. a big leap for me. Mm. Um, but it's just like, that's not where the market is going. Mm. Um, if, uh, you know, like we've all felt it. If you, if you're a WordPress developer, like you felt the, the demands keep going up and, and the technology and the ongoing maintenance keeps going up. Mm. And then the cost, like the cost that, um, that people are willing to pay mm-hmm. keep on coming down. Now, mm-hmm. maybe not if you're selling, you know, major six figure deals to fortune 500 companies, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not, but in the world where most freelancers live, where they're working for other entrepreneurs, small and medium businesses, like you can feel that pressure. Yeah. hundred percent. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's, to me, that's the best response is to move away from done for you into done with you, because that's where the economics are like, that's, that's where the puck is going to be three, five years from now. That's right. I'm so glad you mentioned that. One of the the things that we're, in fact, we're just talking about this on the, the Facebook live this morning is the, that if, if someone is just hiring you to execute a tactic then you, it, you're just competing on price. It's an hourly rate. There is no room to add extra value there. So uh, one of the fundamental things I believe is that you've got to take everything that you do for a client, all of the tactical things that you do, you've got to package that up with some strategy, with some mm. intellect, with some experience, with some knowledge that yeah. you've got from doing this for however long you've been doing it for, package that up into a product offering that happens to include all of these deliverables that you might do, like spin up the WordPress website, plug it into MailChimp yeah. for them, get all the automations happening in Active Campaign or whatever you do, set up the mm-hmm. podcast in Libsyn, whatever it is you do, whatever the tactical stuff is, that they're never going to pay any more than an hourly rate for because they don't see the value yeah. in it. But if that comes yeah. with strategy and some coaching and some guidance, then it's a done with you. Let's collaborate on this. Let's do it. Here's some ongoing trainings. You can manage this stuff yourself. All of a sudden, I can't get that anywhere else because it's a unique mm-hmm process, a unique methodology that you're offering me. So you're instantly differentiated and instantly you're getting paid more because you're not just executing tactics. Yeah. And, and think about it, you know, if, if you amplify that by getting really specific about who, who the client is that you're serving. Um, and I'll give a quick example. There was a guy that interviewed for my podcast here last week that runs a company that does nothing but branding and marketing strategy for minor league sports teams here in the States. Oh, wow. That's great. Talk about a micro niche, right? They started in baseball. They started as high schoolers doing one, one logo for one team. 
they leveraged that and sent 150 letters out to every minor league baseball team in the country and wow. ended up getting more clients that way and then wow. expanded. But they they dominate, and he actually called it over-specializing, which I love that term, over-specializing. Yeah. Yeah. And what the, the net result of that is that now they have all these amazing testimonials. They have all this mm-hmm. credibility and, and social proof from mm. all the people they've helped that are in the niche that everybody else in that niche knows. Mm. Like it's one thing to have testimonials from, yeah, I see this guy's a coach or this guy's a consultant. They're, they're, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're similar. It's a whole other thing when somebody goes to your website or they get your proposal and it's testimonial from, oh, I know that person and that, well, I don't know they were working with that. They're like, they're doing that for that guy. Like, yeah. okay. And, and that's, and for the for the world that I came out of, um, which which like I said, I realized it wasn't real estate; it was business coaches. Which at first was the business coaches in the real estate and mortgage space, and then started expanding out. What what you find out is that they're they're not just talking to other people in the quote the real estate space; they're also friends with all the other business coaches. Yeah, because they're all in the same masterminds. Yeah, They've all taken. Right. They're all in Taki <clears throat> Moore's program. They're all in this and that. That's right. And so you realize that okay, now when I when I go to somebody else who's a coach or a consultant. Mm. And they see the testimonials. Odds are they know my clients either on personal level or they know them by reputation or something. Yep. And that level of testimonial is way more fa- powerful than just a regular testimonial where they don't know them. That's the power of, of like over specializing. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Taki Moore. We joined uh, uh, Black Belt, his coaching program, a few months ago, and fortunately got invited to join his boardroom, which is his like high end inner circle mastermind. And the reason mm-hmm. and. I was that close to pulling the trigger on uh, joining Frank Kern's private client group, which is a serious okay. investment. And I yeah. asked a mentor of mine, Ed Dale. Sorry, Frank, if you're listening to this. Um, I asked a mentor of mine. <laughs> I had I had the pre-qualifying call with Frank's wife and went you know right mm-hmm. down the, the rabbit hole. I've met Frank before out in, at an event in San Diego, and I'm a big fan. I've been following him for a long time. And I was like, "Yep, bugger it, it's time. I'm going to do it. I'm going to jump all in and go and hang out with Frank for a, a, you know three or four trips a year out to San Diego, um, which was going to be difficult because I've got a 13 month old. So I was kind of weighing that up as well, and. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're here in Australia, so it's a fair it's a fair trip. Anyway, I said to my mentor Ed Dale, I said, "Hey, I'm about to join Frank's private client group. Tell me why I shouldn't do it." You know, mm. and he said, "Well, yeah. he said you should, but I think you should join Taki Moore's Black Belt program first. And I said, "Really?" He said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." He said, "I, I think you should." Uh, he said, "A, the travel's not going to kill you because there's three events. You, you can go to the ones in San Diego or Redondo Beach wherever he has them, but there, there are also three events here in Australia, so the travel's a lot yeah. easier." And he said, yeah. "But, I, but." He said, I think you'll learn a lot from being in Taki's program. He said, hang out with Taki for a year, make a bunch of money, improve the business, and then go and hang out with Frank if that's what you want to do. And I instantly, my mind, I wasn't even thinking about Taki's program, but instantly, because Ed is one of my mentors and I've got so much respect for him, and it's it was um, it was immediate social proof because I'm like, well, if Ed's yeah. in the program, which he is, I'm like, if Ed's in the program, if it's good enough for Ed, then it's good enough for me. <laughs> so I literally, he introduced us on Facebook, and Taki and I have known each other for a few years, and he reconnected us on Facebook and I said to Taki, hey, dude, how do I get in? And how do I get into the, the boardroom? Like I just want to come straight into the fast fast lane, you know? Um, yeah. And so here we are. And so that's because I recognized the people that Taki was serving because they're yes. all – and I went to his website, started seeing the testimonials. I'm like, I know these people and I know yeah. what they're doing and all these familiar faces are popping up. Uh, and so yeah. the, the idea of specializing – knowing who you serve, which doesn't have to be an industry, by the way, but knowing who you serve and the problem that you solve and then putting a unique offering in front of them is absolutely, in in my opinion and my experience, the number one way to differentiate yourself and to to get out of that trading time for money and competing on an hourly rate treadmill. Yeah, 100% agree. Awesome. Um, 
the only other question I've got for you here before I let you go is um, scaling the kind of business that you've got where you are mm-hmm. building, where you are r- repeating processes and basically giving like a repeatable, predictable outcome to customers. How mm-hmm. do you get – what, what's involved in actually getting the team on board and getting the documentation right and establishing what, what we call here the gold standard? So this mm-hmm. is what – a gold standard podcast for this client should look and sound like. What's mm-hmm. involved then in actually making sure the team follow the process to get that repeatable, predictable outcome? And I know right. that's a big question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, but it is. Uh, I, I have a very simple answer for you that I, that I hope people like because uh, I, I learned this from my mentor. I, I learned it by by having it drilled into me. I learned it by observation, and I learned it by doing. Mm-hmm. And it's a very simple process. I do it, we do it, you do it. Yeah, great. And you know, any anytime, anytime I or anyone I that I know has tried to skip one of those steps, everything turned. You know, it does not go well. Let's mm. put it that way. Mm. Uh, and so the way that that manifests in my business is, first of all, just in the in the long run, I started off that way. I did everything. Mm-hmm. Then I did things with people. Then I turned it over to where they did it themselves. And in the process of I that that process of me doing it and then me doing it with them. That's where I built the system mm. that produces the gold standard. Mm-hmm. I didn't rely on them necessarily to build the system by myself. Now, if you have once you get to a certain level and you have rock star people that you hundred percent trust, you can trust them to build the system. Mm. But at least initially, you build the system yourself and you build it and then you build it in collaboration and you tweak it as you're training somebody to do it. So I do it, we do it, then you do it. And finally you hand that off. To me, that's the perfect handoff process and it prevents all those problems uh, that we typically see come up, right? Uh, The problems of, you know, people creating the system themselves or never, never creating a system, never documenting it properly, Mm -hmm. documenting it in a way that only makes sense to them. All Mm -hmm. the stuff that kind of comes up that, that process prevents all that and so, like I said, I learned that firsthand and it always stuck with me. And so the business was built on that foundation. And so now when we do a process, um, we already have systems in place. And so coming up with the gold standard for a new client that might be slightly different than the gold standard for another is really just a slight tweak to a checklist somewhere. Mm. So if somebody's running Infusionsoft and they say, hey, I want it sent out this way with this trackable link and this and this. It's like, great. We just make those adjustments to the checklist. Mm. And the next time that email is sent out for that client, we're not starting from a blank sheet of paper going, what was that again? What was he? What did he say about? No, we yeah. just we go right to the checklist in Trello. It's yep. right there. It's documented, <sighs> and it has to be checked off every time. Got it. And so, like starting from that foundation allows you, like, it makes everything else so much easier because any changes or any deviations from whatever that standard is that we have in our mind is already documented. There's a place that's easy to go that everybody knows where it should be, and the only question is, like, if we made a mistake, the question is, did we follow the system? Mm. Yes or no? Okay, yes. Well, then something's wrong with the system. Mm -hmm. Did we follow the system? No. Well, then there's a human behavior issue that we need to address where you didn't follow the system. Let's dig into why. Mm. Is the system hard to use? Is Mm. it not documented in a way that makes sense? Is it just asking, is it too detailed and it's asking too much to double check every every single little thing every time? Mm. But like, like I remember, I remember being at my old agency and one of the things I admire most about my mentor, and, and I, I hopefully emulate this with my own staff, is when when there would be a mistake that came up, even even when it was brought up by a client, when they would say, hey, like this, you know, what's the deal with this? This looks a little wonky. What's going on here? He would always, you know, let's, let's gather all the facts, right? And then I'll get back to you. Then we'd come back to the staff. And he would say, all right, 
show me the documentation, what's going on here. And if there if it turns out that the client was right and there was a mistake made, the question was always, did we follow the system, right? And then from there you address, okay, was it a system problem or was it a human behavior following the system problem? And you kind of chase it down from there. But it completely takes the focus off of, it takes all the anger out, it takes mm -hmm. all the frustration out, it takes the focus off of the people. Mm -hmm. And that makes such a huge difference in their loyalty. Yeah. Like putting it, putting the focus back on, okay, do we follow the system? And, you know, and, and even then, even if it's a human behavior issue, then you still take it back to, okay, human behavior is what it is. People are going to make mistakes. People are just not 100% focused and emotionally in it all the time. And mm. there's no way for them to be that way 40 hours a week. Mm. So what do you do? You build the system to account for that, mm. right? You build the system so that it accounts for human nature. How can we, how can we tweak the system to account for that? Mm. And those are the types of questions that he would ask. And so that's the process that we follow anytime there's something in our business that we feel like needs to be corrected. So hopefully, hopefully that helps anyone that's listening because it made a huge impact on me and it affected like literally everything that I do on a daily basis with my awesome. team. That's a great distinction. And you did answer my next question to satisfy my lizard brain, which was what tool do you use? And I think you've answered it. You use checklists in Trello, right? Yeah, Trello, uh, Google Docs, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then lots of training videos, right, right. Uh, stored in, in the back end of YouTube or whatever the case is that are that are then linked up in Trello. Got so uh, yeah, so it's always a combination of the of the video with a checklist, Got like it. a step by step. Yep. So the checklist is in Trello. Any documentation might be linked off in a Google Docs, and then any videos, just unlisted videos in YouTube. Yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. Awesome. Hey, this has been awesome. Um, Matt Johnson, where can people reach out and get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing and connect? Yeah. So, uh, so go to pursuingresults.com. You can learn all about the service there. And then uh, if you're interested in kind of taking that first step and actually getting booked on podcasts as a guest, uh, like I said, it's not part of our service package, but mm. I did, we get, we get pitched all the time. Mm. So I've seen, I've seen the good, bad, and the ugly, and I know it works. Mm. Um, so I did put together a little free thing. Um, if you go to pursuingresults.com slash pitch, as in pitch yourself, mm -hmm. uh, there's a little training there on how you can literally take the research process and the email templates that we've used successfully. Uh, and you can go and grab those. You can you can use them yourself, but you can actually give them over to an assistant and get them. It's enough to get them started. It's not the whole thing, obviously, but it's enough to get them started to where they can use these email templates, mm -hmm. find a few podcasts for you, actually send a nice, well-written, well, you know, good-looking pitch email on your behalf mm -hmm. and get you booked on some podcasts. And to me, that's, that's always where my best clients come from. It's never the people that come to podcasting kind of out of the clear blue sky. Mm -hmm. It's the people who have been on podcasts. They've seen it. They've experienced it. They've gotten the feedback. They know that it works. And the only question is how, you know, do they want to just be on a bunch more or do they want to host their own? And so that I always recommend that people start by just being a guest, dip your toe in the water and understand what it feels like to be a guest before you go and host your own show. Awesome. Pursuingresults.com slash pitch is the mm -hmm. link there. We will link to that in the show notes uh, and uh, hopefully uh, people will download that. I'm totally going to steal that and give it to my new assistant <laughs> and uh, and get her start practicing. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> hey, Matt, it's been absolutely fabulous to connect with you over the last couple of weeks, brother. I'm really glad yeah, that too. you reached out. I, in fact, I don't even know how we came across each other. Uh, I think someone... I think one of your team reached out and asked. My, yeah, somebody yeah, right. on my team felt like you'd be a good guest on my show and reached out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm so glad they did because it's been awesome to get yeah. to know you. And uh, and as I said, we're, we've, we're taking you for a spin with one of our episodes. Uh, I yep. said I wouldn't give you your own episode to produce for us, so I've given you some, another <laughs> guest to produce, and I'm looking forward yep. to seeing and hearing that and uh, look forward to crossing paths again. And I'm looking forward to coming out to San Diego again early next year, and we will definitely go and have – I'll have a craft beer and you can have a glass of exactly. wine together on a, on a sunny <laughs> Sunday afternoon in San Diego. Exactly. 
Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks for being a part of it. And uh, I'll uh, look forward to keeping in touch and seeing how your business evolves. All right. Thanks, Troy. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. And remember, you can get that freebie from Matt at pursuingresults.com slash pitch. And you can start pitching yourself to other podcasts as a guest if you want to get your name and your message out there. Hey, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on iTunes at wpelevation.com slash iTunes. You can also find us at Stitcher Radio at wpelevation.com slash Stitcher. And, uh, of course, like us on Facebook and on YouTube. And leave us a rating and a review on iTunes if you can, because it really does help us come up in the search results and get the podcast in front of a wider audience. Hey, I look forward to speaking with you again on the podcast very soon. Until then, I'm Troy Dean. Go Elevate. Go Elevate.